0: Day, January 9th. Welcome back to the Pluse. It's good to have you here on the Damon Bruce show, and we're just going to hop right in. Oh, man, I got to remember to mute that phone, show you how much of a professional I am. Mute the damn phone, you amateur. Okay, now that that's done, we can hop right into why we are here today to hand out the 2023 49er Regular Season Awards. Oh, it's award show season. I caught Jillian watching an awful lot of Golden Globes the other night. Uh, what Joe Coy was the not quite big enough to handle the room host. You need a you need a Ricky Gervais in there. You need someone to run things who officially doesn't give a shit, which is why you're here. Because boy, I fit that bill. I'm all out of shits to give for anything or anyone. So that means, you know, you're getting the truth here. And it's great to have you. I see the communities come together. Plucers unite. We got a whole bunch of regulars in the room. A whole bunch of the members of the initiated. So you hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. And away we go with our regular season awards. Now, obviously, all regular season awards take back seats to Lombardi trophies and Super Bowl MVPs. And those are the real awards in award season for football. But here you go. As it as as it as it pertains to the 49ers, we'll just get him right out of the way from the jump, shall we? Because we could almost apply him to almost anywhere we wanted to, with the exception of like Defender of the Year. Our first. Regular season award goes out to the most valuable Brock. And after careful analysis of the roster, I've determined that to be Brock Purdy. The most valuable Brock on the 49ers is indeed Brock Purdy. His season was remarkable. His rise to legitimate MVP candidate is one of the great reveals in modern sports history. Like, you thought you were going to get something, and then you got something totally different. Like, even if you had the highest of expectations for him coming into his sophomore season, there is no way you thought, and at the end of it, he will have broken the team's single-season passing record, but he's done that. Uh, Brock Purdy not only is standing all over this incredibly fun present that we're in, but he also represents an awful lot of hope for the future because, let's face it, we've been saying once Kyle Shanahan has his quarterback, sky's the limit. For this team, well, it looks like he's finally got his franchise quarterback. So, not only is the present very bright, not only are you a one seed and the presumptive Super Bowl favorite right now, I think the future is really bright because of your most valuable Brock, Brock Purdy. And we have, look, we've been handing him flowers all year, he's got the accolades. Everyone knows what he has meant to this team. He is their MVP, certainly. He is everything that you could have wanted in a quarterback and certainly everything that you could have ever hoped to find in the final pick of an NFL draft. It's simply an amazing story. And look, you know, this team went to a Super Bowl in Jimmy Garoppolo's first season of being a full-time starter, and the 49ers would like to win a Super Bowl in Brock Purdy's first season of being a full-time starter. That would be absolutely amazing and one of the all-time cherries on top of one of the great seasons we've ever seen in the history of the 49ers. So, way to go, Brock. He runs away with most valuable Brock, as we all assumed he might. Our next category is greatest difference maker. And I think we all know exactly who this is going to be as well. Because Christian McCaffrey has got some unbelievable numbers behind him and what he's done and what he's become for this team since he was traded to the 49ers. The Niners are 12-4 and 4 in games that he played in this season. He sat the Rams game. And in 2023, he makes his debut in a loss against the Kansas City Chiefs, and then the 49ers went on to win 10 in a row. So a regular season Record for games that Christian McCaffrey has played in. Okay? The 49ers, when Christian McCaffrey plays in the regular season, they're 22 and 5. I mean, that is a huge difference maker. They are 22-5 and five with Christian McCaffrey suited, booted, and ready to go. You add postseason to his tally, now the 49ers are 24-6. and six, And whenever you can win 24 out of 30 games in the NFL, you'll take that deal if the devil wants to make it with you without even thinking about it. That's incredible production. As we've said often, he's been the skeleton key that opens the options for Kyle Shanahan's offensive imagination and what he wants to do with a run game. And then, of course, you pair... Christian McCaffrey with Debo Samuel, and you have arguably two of the most versatile football players on the same team at the same time as the league has ever had to deal with. So the way that Christian McCaffrey has allowed everything to fit together so perfectly around him is why I really do believe, uh, again, his name's not Brock. He was not eligible for the most valuable Brock. But greatest difference maker, to me, number one with a bullet, it's Christian McCaffrey. Single greatest season performance. You know, I was thinking, what is Fred Warner's uh, highest uh, tackle game? Maybe we'll give Fred some love here, but look, we got to go back to McCaffrey for this one as well, too. We absolutely have to because Christian McCaffrey on Sunday, October 1st, scored four touchdowns in a romp over the Cardinals. He had over 100 rushing yards with a better than five yards per carry average, three touchdowns on the ground, eight catches, 71 receiving yards, and a touchdown. He scored 20 21 touchdowns this season in total, and seven of them in two games came against the Arizona Cardinals. But on October 1st, he was, you know, just a god on a football field. He became a video game in real life. So Christian McCaffrey, in that first win of his over the Arizona Cardinals this season, I think is the single-game performance of the year. Our next category goes to Best New Guy. Not rookie, but best new guy. You weren't on the team the year before, but now you're here, and how much of a difference did you make? I don't think anybody made more of a difference than Javon Hargrave. Hargrave, and I really mean it, I'm not sure the 49ers are a one seed without him. He stepped into a role that was, oh, okay, so now you're Javon Hargrave and you're Eric Armstead. Like, you're both guys at once now because Armstead's had to miss so much time here with his, his uh, you know, being a little dinged up, uh, nagging injuries. Seven sacks on the year for Hargrave. Uh, defensive tackles. Look, they can get lost in the shuffle. You know, they turn into a dot in the middle of a line of humanity, and you don't see what they're doing. But this guy when he's not making tackles, when he's not playing the run better than a lot of people thought he would have played the run, and look at what absence he created in the middle of that Philadelphia defensive line. Um, Javon Hargrave is the real deal. He is a free agent who earned his paycheck on a defensive line that, quite frankly, like if we're going to be completely honest about everything, and that's what we do here, um, I, I think it's not unfair To say that this defensive line underperformed a little this year. It really did. It really did. Not one day did I think the 49ers defensive line spent sitting that day on the throne of this is the most dangerous unit in the NFL. They did a time or two last year. I really don't think they were ever the most dangerous unit in the NFL. They were good. They were a handful they were never an easy day at the office for anyone. But it didn't feel nearly as dominant as it did just a year ago. And we'll get to maybe why in just a little bit. I'm calling the next award, and it's the only award that I cheated a little and I, splitted, I, I split between two guys. But this award is called the Never Take That Guy For Granted Award. And to me, I'm splitting that between George Kittle and Mooney Ward. George Kittle had a sneaky 65-catch, 1,000-receiving-yard season. It's almost like he's hidden in plain sight. Like, it's the kind of season it felt like he had anyway. But he is such a key chain mover. He's a safety net. He is a threat over the middle and we know how much Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan like to operate in the middle of the field. Um he is he he is one of the spirit animals of this team. He's a tone setter. I believe for the 49ers as a blocking tight end, he has absolutely no peer in this league whatsoever. There isn't a guy in the league who is specifically in the league because he's a blocking tight end, who's a better blocking tight end than George Kittle. Now, there might be a few guys who have surpassed him in terms of offensive, yard producer, touchdown scorer, pass catcher. There are other tight ends who might be better pass catchers than George Kittle. But there is no tight end better as a blocker. And I don't believe that there's any other tight end who fits the bill of you have to be everything in a tight end. When it comes to the full package, George Kittle really is number one. When it's a playmaker, well, there are other guys who we can certainly talk about. But as a complete tight end, I really think that George Kittle's in a class almost by himself. No one fills the entire role of that position better than George Kittle, and we've become so used to that, like I said, I think he gets taken for granted every now and then. So never take that guy for granted goes to George Kittle, and he shares it with Chavarius Ward. Mooney Ward, you know, look, this secondary might have been an adventure if everyone has to play one spot out of position. And everyone without Mooney Ward on this team is one spot out of position because he truly is a legitimate number one corner. He is. He stuck to all the big fish all year long. He made Steve Wilk's jobs, like, infinitely easier because he was so dependable. Uh, Just by being on the team, he made everyone settle into their natural positions. And let's face it. Cornerback is a pretty brutal position because you can have a fantastic afternoon, get burned on one play, and in that one play the entire game flips and you go from hey, he was having a really good afternoon to all of a sudden now hey, he's he's a bum. He blew the game. I don't think Chevarius Ward had one of those games. The the his least glorious moment was when the entire defense got beat before the half on that zero blitz in Cleveland, right? Like that was the low point, probably for Steve Wilkes and the entire secondary, and maybe even Mooney Ward, who was the guy kind of got left holding the bag out there. Um, but look, Chavarius never wore the bum tag, not once. And I still think that, that zero blitz was more of a bad play call than it was anyone's bad play. He's a true number one corner, and it's been a while since the 49ers have really had one of those guys. So uh, hats off to a please never take him for granted he checks so many boxes Chavarius ward So there you go. We've only got a couple more here. And this is going to be a little bit of a point of contention. I already feel the comments coming in. And you can go ahead and get your comment in right now if you want to. You disagree with any of this, I'm sure I'll read about it. Go ahead and comment. Did I miss somebody? Did I overlook somebody? You tell me. The rookie of the year on this team is Jake Moody. Jake Moody right now might be a little bit persona non grata this week, but he had a good rookie year, and I don't want to hear anything saying that, well, you know, like, uh, he didn't really have a good year, and sometimes statistics do lie, and he was more of an adventure than his statistics would indicate. Like, I'll kind of nod along with you just a little bit right there, but I'm also going to tell you that when it boils down to how we feel about something and what the statistics say, you got to kind of err on the side of statistics. Even though we never felt easy, easy, breezy, comfortable with Jake Moody, he missed only four field goals all year. He was 21-25, and he had not missed one between October and the last week of the year. So he had a stretch there where he made all of his kicks, including all these points after touchdowns, where he sets a rookie record until he misses his final point after touchdown of the year. He was 60 of 61 on point after touchdowns and 21 of 25 from the field. And again... He's the only rookie that even qualifies for a good rookie season. Might not have been good enough for you, but he certainly had a better year than Ronnie Bell did, and there's no other rookie who really made himself a part of this season's story. Now, Jair Brown was thrust into action because of the injury to Talanoa Hufanga, but to me, throughout the entire year, there was no better-performing rookie Then the kicker, who everyone's a little mad at and doesn't trust right now. I'm still giving him to the award. I don't care how controversial it is. It's my award show. I'll do with it what I want. It can't all be good news and gravy, right? Sometimes you got to get to the what went wrong portion of an award show. This isn't quite Chris Rock getting slapped. But the what went wrong portion of this award show is what is the biggest statistical disappointment of the year? The biggest statistical disappointment of the year comes in two flavors. Number one, no one had 10 receiving, uh, 10 receiving touchdowns on this team. No one did. McCaffrey didn't have it. Ayuk I- didn't have it. Debo didn't have it. Kittle wasn't even close. Seven Seven receiving touchdowns shared by Ayoub, Debo, and CMC. That's a little bit of a statistical disappointment. Not much, but I'll throw it out there. Before a single person says, Well, you know, Damon, sacks aren't the end-all be-all of defensive end play and shouldn't be the only way to measure whether or not a defensive end had a good year or not. I know that. You don't have to tell me that pressures are important, but I'll also tell you getting home on those pressures makes them even better. And to me, based on the paycheck and what I said earlier about I thought this was a little bit of a down year for what was supposed to be a dominant group along the 49ers defensive line, Nick Bosa only having 10 and a half sacks to me is the biggest statistical disappointment on this team. Now, his 10 and a half sacks still led the team, and 10 and a half sacks in the NFL are not easy, but this is a guy who had 18 and a half the year before when he was named defensive player of the year and the year before that he had 15 and a half. So, 10 and a half is certainly less than 18 and a half and 15 and a half. So, his worst year of his last 3 was this year. And there's just no way around pretending that that number isn't as high as it should be. I still think Nick Bose is a hell of a player and he had a very good year, any way you want to look at it. But a little bit of a statistical disappointment. I'm going to throw it out there and I'm sticking to it. We're going to wrap up with most improved 49ers. One is a sliding scale, the other was produced more than we thought. And then the final one was, hey, welcome to the NFL. You can stick around. Most improved 49ers player of the year. We'll start with Debo Samuel, but we'll only start with Debo Samuel because 2023 was such a letdown for him, and he even admitted as such. He's never going to come in out of shape and unfocused like he did in 2022. He comes back in 2023 and was a lot better. But again, he set his own bar back so we can't quite give him a most improved player award because, again, he dug himself a little bit of his own hole to get out of. The next name I would want to put up would be Colton McKivitz, because that right tackle spot was supposed to be a glaring offensive weakness all year, and even though it might have been a bit of a weakness, I don't think glaring was the right way to describe it. Colton McKivitz had a better year at right tackle than I remember Mike McGlinchey having the year before. And at the price point, he had a very good year. Colton McKivitts was also playing next to what I do believe is the weakest spot on the entire team, right guard, and a lot of problems from right guard probably trickled over into some McKivitt lowlights or highlight reels or lowlight reels. But I think Colton McKivitts had a really good year and going from... How does he fit into this offensive line to starting right tackle without an awful lot of problems at right tackle? That, to me, is a big improvement, so he would be second on my list. Debo a distant third, Colton McKivitt second, but the winner, to me, for the most improved 49er award, it's Ambry Thomas. Ambry Thomas had himself a hell of a year. He turned himself into a real NFL player this season and a real starting caliber cornerback. Ambry Thomas did that. He can run with anyone. He tackles like he really means it. Uh, He's a big guy. Uh, I think it was him and Diamador Lenore who really helped this secondary operate the way Steve Wilkes wanted it to, again, Thanks so much to Chavarius Ward, allowing everyone else to find their own sort of water level. But Ambry Thomas, and Diamador and Lenore was a candidate for this, but I think even Ambry Thomas had the better year. So, and, and when he was inserted as a starter after the bye week, it felt like the defensive unit took a turn towards the better, and he just made everything fit better. So there you go. Those are my 49er regular season awards. You can go ahead and uh, hop in the comments. We'll get to those in Club Plus today, and we'll see what you agree with, what you disagree with. Everyone's got the right to their own opinion, for sure. Not their own facts, but their own opinion, and a lot of this was opinion, so have at it. Um, Cheers. Let Let me take a little sip here. And, uh, you know, in, in in honesty, full transparency, the boys were up a little extra early. So the sip of the day technically already passed before the show even started. We're a little now under temp, which would be ideal for sip of the day. But there, for, for the sake of the show, that's the best sip we're going to get on today's show right there. We'll take it. But it wasn't the sip of the day. Still pretty damn good, though. Uh, let's go ahead and say thank you deeply to our sponsors. First of all, my man Ike serves delicious sandwiches from nearly 100 different locations with another opening, I believe this summer, in the city here in San Francisco, a very wet day this Tuesday in San Francisco. Um, Never a soggy sandwich coming from Ike's. That bread is fantastic. I mean, great sandwiches start with great bread. And I know he's famous for the Dutch crunch. I've never been a Dutch crunch guy. To me, it's like Captain Crunch cuts the roof of my mouth. I think it absorbs a little bit too much of the Godfather sauce. I like a saucier sandwich than Dutch crunch allows. So I'm a a give it to me on French bread or sourdough kind of guy. But whatever you want, when you get it from Ike's, believe me, it'll be exactly what you want. Delicious sandwiches from nearly 100 different locations, probably somewhere in a delivery era near you. Download that Ike's Reward app and start eating your way towards free sandwiches. And thanks, as always, to Ike for being a huge sponsor of what we're doing over here. Uh, did you have anything rolling on that national championship game on Monday night? If you did, I hope you did it with mybookie.ag. Using promo code DAMON when you sign up for a deposit match of 50% up to $1,000, a full-on casino is waiting for you. Like a cruise ship in international waters, it's more than just a sports site. It is an awful lot of fun to be had in the world of gaming and gambling. And go ahead and check out mybookie.ag. And I want to tell you that my knee feels better than ever because of Dr. Paul Hughes, who is the sponsor of Post Game and Damon. And I'm proud to announce that he is going to continue to be the sponsor Of post Game and Damon. No matter how far the 49ers go in the postseason, Dr. Paul Hughes will be sponsoring all of it. And we want to shout out his son Hunter, who is also a big listener. Nine year old Hunter got on the phone with me talking about uh, daddy re upping for the postseason. Very nice to meet you, Hunter. Thank you so much. Sorry about the salty language that sometimes you hear, but your dad said, You're a big boy and you can take it. So there you go. Thank you very much to Dr. Paul Hughes. My knee feels great. If you want your knees to feel great, go to orthopedicsurgeries.com. His offices are in San Bruno, and he is going to be running a special. If you call and use the code word Hunter, his son's name, 50% off cellular replacement surgery. And it's not surgery. Treatment, I should say. 50% off. So... Promo code HUNTER, we'll have more about that once we get to our next Post Game and Damon show in a couple weeks from now. But thanks so much to Dr. Paul Hughes for supporting this. Thanks to so many of you. I mean, we had, I think, six new members show up yesterday and choose to become part of the initiated. Thank you very, very much. Monthly memberships are available. Uh, you get already some perks, right? Um, what are those perks? Well, SportsBane will be hanging out with you. You also get some access to videos before they go public. Uh, the NFL preview video, Wildcard Weekend preview video that Larry Kruger and I did, it is up now, available for members. The rest of the world will get it on Thursday morning. So you got a little exclusivity. If you need some stickers, send me your email address or your uh, physical address through email or find me on Instagram or on Twitter. Get me your information. We'll get that out to you, and there will be meetups that you know about and things that are certainly special, but it's really a way to support what I'm doing here. And I thank you so very much. So many of you chose to become members. I thank you very much for doing that means an awful lot. Uh, you know, I see there's some super chats out there and I really appreciate that. And if you're saying Damon, look the beauty of YouTube is I get all this content for free. I don't need to pay for anything. Well, you go ahead just hit that like button or hit that subscribe button. That's a great way to help support this channel, too, if you're interested in doing so at a cost free to you. And we thank James Jones, who says, hell yeah, guess what? I got a fever and the only prescription, more plus. Well, thank you, James. I hope that fever goes away and that $10 is going in the ganja jar. Thank you very, very much. Uh, again, good to see all of you. Uh, Stacy Leo is victory lapping. The fact that she got the first like of the day in, she wasn't the first in the chat, but she got the first like of the day. Um, I don't want you to be the last like of today's show. So hit that like button right now and the algorithm will kiss me right on the forehead. I'll also let you know that later today, Damon Delora, we're going to have a little Damon on Damon action for you. You've been warned. Uh, He's a really good broadcaster. He does the morning show for Mad Dog Radio. Not only do I want to talk to him about the things and the headlines around sports right now, but he is one of the few guys with a national platform who cares about what has happened to the city of Oakland and to A's fans. So we're going to have Damon on to talk about a whole lot of sports and the A's and why he cares when so few others do. So there you go. little. That's going to happen at 3 o'clock. Uh, it's not going to be taped. We're going to be going live together, a couple of radio guys, a couple of Damons. We're just going to go live at 3 o'clock, West Coast time. Damon Bruce, Damon Amondalora, and it is, uh, I think, going to be a great conversation. I hope you plan on coming around or... Well, <coughs> Excuse me, or watching a little bit later, uh, whenever it's most convenient for you. That's the beauty of all this. All right, some more breaking news from the NFL from this morning, and this one was a little bit of a, a shocker. I don't think we we suspected to see Mike Vrabel show up on the unemployment line. He survived Black Monday. So there was even more of a reason to think that we wouldn't see Mike Vrabel as a dismissed NFL head coach. But indeed, that has happened. The Tennessee Titans have fired Mike Vrabel. He's my age. He's 48 years old. He had four straight winning seasons before back-to-back under 500 seasons, including this year's 6-11. and But it's not like that team gave up. Not even close. As a matter of fact, they picked up a win over Jacksonville that knocked the Jaguars out of the playoffs. So it's not like it was a rollover and die Titans team. It was a Titans team that went through, you know, quarterback change, a lot of a lot of turning from one chapter to the next. And I'm surprised that Vrabel is out. Derek Henry, Henry was reportedly shocked by the news. Couldn't believe that Vrabel got the, uh, the, the, the walking papers. This guy had the Titans as a one seed back in 2021 and was named the AFC Coach of the Year. He's been to an AFC Championship game. All I'm going to tell you is, what idea do you have that's better than Mike Vrabel? Tennessee Titans? Who, who are you bringing in to do a better job than that guy? Bill Belichick has yet to be fired, boys and girls. He is not number one on the market. Jim Harbaugh has yet to declare himself, yeah, I'm coming back to the NFL. I'm out at Michigan now that the national championship's been won. And that could happen, but it hasn't. Again, Belichick might lose his job, still hasn't. Harbaugh might come back to the NFL, still hasn't which leaves the recently dismissed Mike Vrabel as maybe the number one actual head coaching candidate out there who's an actual coach looking for an NFL job right now. Now, if we're done with Belichick in New England, he obviously is number one. I don't care how old he is. He's one of the great head coaches ever. If Jim Harbaugh were to leave Ann Arbor, his name is going to be as, you know, cherished and prized name to attach to a coach opening as you're going to find. But, dude, Mike Vrabel, again, don't let bad years make you think you got a bad coach. Mike Vrabel is not bad at this. He's really good at this. And I'm surprised to see him on the breadline. It won't be long for him. The other bit of news from the NFL as it concerns wildcard weekend is the fact that the Steelers have let everybody know TJ Watts officially been ruled out. Uh, He led the NFL in sacks this year. It is the wrong guy to not have available when you're playing Josh Allen in the Buffalo Bills, but that knee injury that he suffered this past weekend will prevent him from playing. Tomlin also said the Steelers are going to go with a hot hand, and obviously the term hot hand has a sliding scale when you're applying it to Steelers quarterbacks. They've all been a bit of an adventure, but Mason Rudolph uh, will remain the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers as the wildcard round begins. So there you go. That is your NFL news this Tuesday uh, here on the Blues. You watched the national championship game last night? Of course you did. You're a sports fan. You remain Harbaugh curious because you were a Niners fan, which is probably a big reason why you're here right now. Jim Harbaugh got the championship that eluded him in the NFL, and he got it in Ann Arbor in a season that was just ripe with controversy. I mean, he sat home in as many games as he actually stood on the sideline coaching due to suspensions from two different situations, one coming into the season, one developing into the season, that sign-stealing scandal, which has not exactly been settled. The NCAA is going to, what, enact some discipline on Michigan this offseason, and And maybe that's the reason why Jim Harbaugh would want to go back to the NFL. You know, it was described by one of his players what the options are. You know, Jim Harbaugh's coaching options right now because the money is almost the same either way. He's been offered a $125 million contract to stick around Ann Arbor. And that's the kind of money he'd be making in the NFL. I mean, so his option is one player put it as cherry pie or apple pie. Like, either way, you get dessert. Jim Harbaugh, what do you want to do? You know, I think Jim, Jim Harbaugh is a true heart. He believes things, but I also think that he believes things that suit his position more than he just believes. I don't think Jim Harbaugh would advocate for something if he didn't think that there might be a little something in it for him. It doesn't mean he's selfish, but I think Jim Harbaugh is calculating. And he's always thinking what's best for me before he goes public with any position. And I'm not saying that's even a bad thing. You know, as, as my former broadcasting partner, Ray Ratto, used to say, if you're going to make a choice, make a selfish choice because, you know, it, you should be concerned about you first and foremost. <laughs> very Ray. Very Ray. Um, since winning the national championship, and before he even won the national championship. Jim Harbaugh is talking about the NCAA in a way that doesn't make me think that he is more likely to go back to Ann Arbor than he is to be an NFL head coach this time next week. It feels like Jim Harbaugh is very pissed off by what happened to him by the NCAA this year. And he is not burning the house down, but he's at least flicking lit matches in the NCAA's direction on what feels to me possibly his way out. Now, if you told me that when Jim went home, prayed to whatever football gods he prayed to and... Uh, and, and and lays his head on a pillow and thinks about what's really the most important thing to him, being Bo Schembechler 2.0 and a made Michigan man forever now that he's delivered a national championship to Ann Arbor. If you told me that he just wanted to stay in Ann Arbor and be a god, I'd believe you. I'd believe you. But the way he's talking about the NCAA, it almost feels like he's sort of mentally divorcing himself from just what he's looking at. And he's doing it in a way that makes you say, well, boy, Jim is really an advocate for student-athletes, and he is. But I wonder if he would be serving as such a public advocate for student-athletes if he didn't think either this is going to help me out at Michigan or, again, I'm going flip to this, flip this match at the NCAA on, on my way out. By the way, we pause for Super Chats when we do see them here on the crawl, Damon, thank you for being my new favorite channel, Glock Holiday. Thank you very much for the jingle jangle. It's going to go into the ganja jar, and it's wonderful to have you here. Glock Holiday, thank you for being a part of this awesome community. We're glad that you have found me very, very much. Like it and subscribe it. Hit that notify, baby. So here's what Jim Harbaugh said about college athletes. Quote, the thing that I would change about college football is to let the talent share in the ever-increasing revenue. We're all robbing the same train, and the ones that are in position to do the heavy lifting, the ones at risk, life and limb out there on the football field are the players. It's not just the football players, student-athletes. The organizations are fighting hard to keep all the money, the universities, the NCAA, the conferences, and it's long past time to let student-athletes share in the ever-increasing revenue. It's billions, says Jim Harbaugh. I keep reading how much money is being made. I can't put a can of soda up here. i got to put it in a cup. Everyone is maximizing every revenue source there is, but they're not sharing it with the talent. There's no business where that would ever fly. So I agree with every single thing he said, but that's not why I'm talking about it. My question is, why is he saying it? Is he saying it because he really wants to stay as head coach of Michigan and help really reform the NCAA and the way it compensates student-athletes, and he's going to do it from the bully pulpit that is head coach in Ann Arbor? That's a big 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 platform you know that's a monster platform now says defending national champions on whatever lectern he is standing behind this is uh this is why is jim saying this is he saying this because he's about ready to bolt he's about ready to go is that what's going on here i don't know again i i don't know how To bet on this. I don't know how to bet on this. You told me he stayed in Ann Arbor for the next decade. I'd believe you. You told me he was the Los Angeles Chargers head coach by Friday. I'd believe you there too. Chicago Bears could use a guy like Jim Harbaugh. A lot of football teams looking to rebuild a culture could use a guy like Jim Harbaugh. That's kind of what he does. I really believe, I truly believe that he believes players deserve more. I also think he's trying to be and sound a little bit like Uncle Jimbo really, really cares. And he either really cares because he cares about the student athletes, which he does. I also think he cares to do damage to the NCAA, which he does because the NCAA is trying to damage his reputation by, you know, catching him cheating, which he did. He cheated. He cheated. He cheated. You know, I saw somebody say it's very apropos that Michigan's national championship is won in Houston, the home of the 2017 world champion Astros, who are, you know, our lifetime, like all-time cheaters, right, to win a championship. I'm a big fan of Brett McMurphy, who writes for the Action Network, and he was talking about a cheating scandal and how it relates to Harbaugh, how it should help us frame a championship that... Look, Michigan won that championship on the field. They were were very good. They were a very good team all year. I'm not trying to take away anything. And you can also say everybody is stealing signs. Another way I've heard this whole topic put was the difference between the way your school might steal a sign and the difference in the way... Michigan apparently went about it, would be the difference in, okay, so a first period class takes a test and then tells the students who are going to be taking the test in the third period, like, what might be coming up on this test? We just saw it. Here's what you might expect in your test. That's the normal level of sign stealing, where Michigan essentially broke into the teacher's desk, took the teacher's edition textbook, and wrote all the answers down. Either way, there might be a little cheating going on, but one is not the same as the other. So Michigan really did enact an elaborate, multiple-pronged, sign-stealing scandal that goes well beyond a couple coaches were looking and couldn't help but notice that when, you know, a coach did this, this meant blitz, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, there, there's, there are some nuances to this. Okay. A lot of gray area. So anyways, Brett McMurphy was talking about this and, uh, An Alabama official that Brett McMurphy was talking to at the Rose Bowl, again, they're getting ready to play Michigan, and he was asked, this Alabama official, hey, you're going to play a team that, you know, has gotten to this game with the specter of cheating looming over it, how do you feel, and... Brett McMurphy's quote from this Alabama official is, look, everyone, and I mean everyone, is stealing signs. Michigan was not the only school doing this. And another industry source said Kansas basketball cheats more than anybody. And they didn't do anything to Kansas. But the only pure college program you're going to find out there is Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt sucks. This sounds an awful lot like what, Jerry Tarkanian's famous quote when he says, you know, whenever Kentucky gets caught cheating, Cleveland State gets two years probation. Cheating is something that the big boys feel like is let slid a little bit more than some of the lesser programs are allowed to get away with. And it's all being done in the, you know, names of the stakes are so high and everybody's doing it. And there you go. As Brett McMurphy writes, that's where college athletics is in in 2024. If you're not cheating, you're not trying, or you're Vanderbilt. I mean, I love sports. (laughs) I love sports and I hate sports all at the same time. Because as wrong as that is, there is so much truth in it. And what are you going to do? Can't deny the truth. There is an element to, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, that is so pervasive in sports that there's some truth to it. There really is. Meanwhile, I want to wrap up, before we hop into today's chat for Club Plus, with just a sad farewell, a very sad farewell My friends, do you realize that there there will never be another Pac-12 football or basketball team? There will never be another Pac-12 game. There will never be another Pac-12 campus. Bill Walton has no chance at all to talk about his Conference of Champions. Um, To me, it's all just very, very sad. It's very sad. It was so preventable. So preventable. A television network and greed of campuses said no to really good waiting for perfect that never came. And while they were waiting for the perfect that never came, the whole thing disintegrated. Had Dion shown up in Boulder with all of that attention that Colorado commanded at the beginning of the year and even maintained during their losing streak at the end of the year, it might have been completely different for the Pac 12. Might have been completely different. Um, had USC and UCLA not decided, hey, it's time for us to make Big Ten money, even though you know we are the ones that anyone buying the Pac-12 would be purchasing first and foremost. You know, the biggest college basketball, biggest college basketball brand in the conference, and the biggest college football brand in the conference, both deciding to leave the conference can't be good for what the remaining schools in the Pac-12. Indeed. It wasn't. It was devastating, and they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Now, back-to-back bad commissioners certainly didn't help, but greed of networks and the fact that, you know, I keep on saying college football needs a commissioner. College football has a commissioner. It's ESPN, and that's wrong, and it's sad, and it sucks, and it just hurts, right? You know, tradition sometimes can be negative. When you hold on to bad practices in the name of tradition, that's when tradition impedes progress and becomes negative. But most traditions are great. You know, traditions that get handed down through generations of families, uh, in towns and around sports, you know, the amount of tradition that has been ripped from the West Coast because the Pac-12 no longer exists, not because that's the way the fans wanted it, but because that's the way the networks destroyed it. It's just awful. Au revoir, Pac-12. Au revoir. Adieu. Which I looked up as I was spelling it correctly in a tweet. You know, how do you spell adieu? The direct translation of adieu means of God. So, Pac-12, you are now of God. Rest in peace, Pac-12. That sucks. Thank you so very, very much for listening on today's podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, stick around. We've got ourselves a little uh, Club Plus coming up right here and right now. But for those listening on the podcast, I say thank you so very, very much. And please do remember that sports don't build character They reveal it. And like that, he's gone.